Welcome to this edition of the Million Dollar Mastermind Podcast. This is where we pick the brains of high achievers from all walks of life and get their hard-earned, real-world insights on winning. I'm your host, Larry Wydell. It got so bad you had to let staff go. You had to sell your car. You probably were a little bit behind on the uh, uh, some of the bills. Absolutely. I, I was owning money to people. I couldn't pay them. Um, and, it, you know, it was very sweet. Most of the people and, you know, even the small people, right. window cleaner, you know, yeah. uh, they were all actually very supportive of me. And you know, I remember coming, I owed somebody some money and I just started off one of the great passions of my life, which is wine collecting. And that's defined yes. for many years, my wine collection. And he was happy to take a couple of cases of wine in lieu of <laughs> the bill. But then, you know, it's, it's, it's a matter how did you pull out? How did you pull out of that thing? You know, you know what's what I would think about in that you've talked about even when you went to London, everything has to be first class. You know, you have to have you're building credibility. You know, they they don't want to see that you're jittery. You know, when uh, someone's going to pay you a big dollar for a painting, they want you to know, confidence. And when you're you're on shaky ground or you're you're on uh, you're sinking in the mud, it's kind of hard to have that that happy, uh, confident. I had at that moment a potential deal to an American museum, which was going to earn fifty thousand pounds, which was going to, you know, be transformational. Obviously, I the museum were I made sure the museum didn't uh, didn't know of my predicament, um, and the deal went through. You know, selling to a museum takes time. And um, uh, well, actually, I'm going to tell you something else, uh, another story at at this moment. Uh, I'm still with having broken off my relationship with Gabby Harvey Jones or, broke, or said I'm, I'm not going to go through the wedding. We then got back together again. And actually, the relationship then became um, even more intense and um, very special. And so, you know, my relationship with the father improved as well. So at the moment where the bank basically had uh, called in outside auditors, I'd had an appointment to I had to present a survival plan to the bank and gabby had said well look, you should discuss this with sir john who was in his suite at the local park lane hotel and i remember going to see him showed in the papers as i say ed said earlier sir john really didn't understand the art market and he looked through it and said look mark really there's there's no disgrace in going bankrupt i walked out got into bed cried my eyes out, pulled the covers sheet over myself, and I just wanted to crawl under a hole and die. Anyway, the following morning, when I had this had had a 10 o'clock meeting at the bank, and I'm sitting um, at the desk on my own in my little gallery, and the phone goes, and it was another art dealer friend of mine who says, who trained as an accountant, funny enough. And he said, Mark, what's this I hear about you being in trouble? And I explained what was what was happening. He said, "Well, stay where we stay where you are. Don't don't move. I'll be round in twenty minutes." So he got in a taxi. He was out in Westbourne Grove, uh, West London, and rocked in the gallery. He said, "Right, where's the bits of paper?" And he had a quick look through. Oh, this is ridiculous. Right, what you're going to do is you're going to take me to the meeting with the manager. Don't you say a word. You let me do all the talking. You introduce me as your business associate. And by the way, it had just had a new manager, a brand new manager. So who knew nothing about my business uh -huh. and 
it was easier for him. He didn't really want to have to deal with a business that was in trouble. It was easier for him right. just to get rid of it. So anyway, so this guy was called Eddie Crawshaw. And anyway, so Eddie and I rock into the manager and Eddie starts talking and he says, look, Mark's going to stop drawing a salary. He's going to sell his car. He's going to do this, that and the other. And, you know, we've got these deals on the table. Um, you know, what's your problem? And the manager says, yeah, no, you're right. Really, I, you know, absolutely. Look, if he can pull this through, then, yeah, absolutely. We can. We haven't got a problem. So we rocked out of there. And obviously, I still had to, um, you know, do the business. And right. we made the sale to the museum. And also, with this impetus, you know, I had to I work really hard. And then within a matter of a year or so, I did a run of major sales, including a Van Dyke to the Seattle Art Museum, which made another five hundred thousand uh, pounds. Saw another picture, made another two hundred thousand here, and you know, I was right back up at the top of the tree again. You hear so often, Mark, uh, in talking with people that after they go through the disaster where they're crying their eyes out at night, that type thing. The next year, the greatest year of their life. It's just unbelievable. It's, it's almost like a test that life puts you through a test. And I remember in our uh, company, the founder said one time in a manager meeting, he said, your breakthrough is going to come the second time you seriously want to commit suicide and don't. <laughs> There, I actually had one of those moments a few years later where, I, you know, again, I was still on Almar Street. Yeah. I owed money left, right and centre. And I, again, I just couldn't see I was going to get out of the hole. You know, this dark thought crossed my mind right. and it disappeared in a heartbeat. But yeah. yeah, I mean, I think that's the other big lesson that I've learned that having run the business, well, I'd say on a shoestring, but always rattling around, you know, the top end of your borrowings and always being stressed was to just make sure going forward, if you can, always have a bit of, keep a bit of fact to one side, just make sure, don't put all the chips on the line all the time, you know. Um, There's a lot to that, Mark. Don't put all the chips on, because if you're an entrepreneur, you're a business owner, you know, you know, you're you're a gunslinger, basically. You know, you call a shot, you bet the farm, you do this, but you don't have to bet all of the farm. <laughs> I do. I've just been doing that. Actually, <laughs> I just yeah. bought a, a fantastic painting for a lot of money. That I oh, did. You? <laughs> yeah, you probably have a pretty good idea of where that can go now, as far as placing it and turning it over a lot quicker than you did early on you know it's just like if you're going to bet the farm have a place where you know what you're going to do with the farm when you get it you could turn that thing over did you have uh those kind of things where you learned a lesson for yourself and affected you going forward i would like to say yes but then again i think probably you spoke to my wife as well and my family all know yep. and love me um i've changed and right. i like to think i've matured a lot and i'm far more sensible and so many other in many respects yeah far patient than i used to be i would argue uh, though others would dispute that ultimately you are what you are you are the creature you are you can you know obviously you try to accommodate the faults and try to 
protect yourself from making mistakes. That doesn't mean to say that given the certain circumstances, you, you know, just revert to type. And I've always been a gambler. I've, I've always been somebody, and I've said this to other people that, um, that in order to achieve success, you often have to reach for that branch that other people wouldn't reach. It's a risk. Do I make that leap, you know, make leaping into the void to grab that branch, which is going to take you even higher. And not many people have got the balls to do it. When you found you've done that in the past, did you follow that up with a burst of work or something like I've, be real right now. I've got to be real serious. I'm just wondering if this affects the attention to detail and the perfectionist type things, because a lot of times owners become perfectionists because they've they've gone through, you know, things happen in cycles. They have same things happen over. And so when things go wrong, you learn, you know, this can go wrong if I don't make sure this is, you know, if I leave the door cracked, the wind will blow the door open, you know, so I don't want to leave the thing cracked. And just little simple things, but the longer you're in there, there's more little things, attention to detail. And what you're really trying to do is save yourself from bigger disasters. You're not trying to be uh, OCD. Uh, it's, it's not a psychotic type thing. You're just trying to save yourself from bigger problems, you know, ounce of prevention type thing. Don't, you know, clean that, change that, fix that before. That's just a lot of that you accumulate just from being in business, don't you? I think the other thing that I have now is, which I didn't have, say, 20 years ago, I've got a much stronger support group around me. And I've learned to take advice. You're rather, I have people giving me good advice. So whether it's my wife, my sister, who works very closely with us, um, she's always been there. Uh, but as I mentioned, I've got a great young team, um, a young uh, man called Charlie Mackay and uh, Flora Crichton-Stewart, who's uh, sort of gallery manager, and Charlie's uh, really co-director in the gallery. Um, great researcher, um, very hard workers, very imaginative. Um, I do listen to them. And yeah. occasionally they'll say to me, Mark, well, actually, I'm not sure that's a great idea. Or, you know, maybe we should do acting this way or right. do that. Um, and I and I listen now. You know, having a good team to help support you is vital. Even uh, Sotheby's and Christie's almost went bankrupt, both of them, I think, haven't they, over the last 10 years or 20 years? Oh, yes. It hasn't been a bed of roses for them. And, you know, I have very good, very close relationships with the um, directors, the old master partners in, in both both companies. And, you know, I count them as my friends, um, though, you know, we're obviously on the other side of the fence. Right. And in truth, the auction houses, you know, have, you know, of course, a lot of problems for art galleries and art dealers because they're taking or have attempted to take um, away you know, when I first started um, art dealing with my parents, you know, auction houses, auctions were primarily for the trade. Right. Now they're primarily for the private. Oh, yeah. We're oh, service. Yes. So they've, you know, they've been taking away our market. And in fact, you know, I can think of several big buyers now who, and I would say stupidly, have, um, you know, will only, for whatever reason, they feel comfortable buying at auction because they competition for the picture. Whereas, you know, if you have it hanging on the wall, they immediately think it should be cheaper than it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It's just 
psychology of in fact, you know, I, had, I had this joke which i used to say was you know you get a client looking at a painting and he says well how much is it and you go well it's it's a hundred thousand and they wait a few minutes and they say sorry just tell me a hundred no it's a hundred and ten thousand yeah and they go, oh, and now and it's a hundred and fifteen thousand <laughs> hold on a minute mr vice <laughs> well that's why it's in an auction you know <laughs> yeah, right yeah <laughs> And so uh, what uh, part of the year is the most fun for you now in the art world? I mean, is there certain fairs, certain events? Yeah, well, I would say, I would say this, this, this period from October through till Christmas um, is a very busy time of year for us. Um, January can be, January, February become a hit and miss, but then we're building up for uh, exhibiting at the world's greatest art fair, um, TAFAF in Maastricht, the European Fine Art Fair. Where is Very Maastricht? Cool. Where is that? Yeah. Holland? Yeah, Maastricht. Yeah, it's it's been going now for over 35 years, uh, and it is the world's greatest art fair, um, head and shoulders above anything else. I mean, it's, it's, it's extraordinary, absolutely extraordinary. Now, is that on all masters versus uh, contemporary? Everything. Everything. Masters, contemporary, you get antiques, jewelry, sculpture, carpets, you name it, it's there. And it's that's in March, April. March, billions, April. Billions, billions of dollars worth of art. And you're, you show there. You have a. I, uh, I've been showing there, yeah, regularly, regularly. Yeah. Uh huh. Very, very interesting. Well, I appreciate you uh, taking the time. It's interesting to get, you know, you go in the galleries. There's one thing about a gallery, it's so intimidating in a lot of galleries because, you know, you walk in and you just don't feel comfortable. In fact, I had a lady who was on the board of directors of Eastman Kodak. She's one of four organizers of the London Photographic Fair. She's written six books on photography. If anybody should feel confident walking into any gallery in the world, it's her. And she says, I'm scared to death of going to a gallery. You know, I'm totally intimidated. You know, the way they you know, like a French maitre d' looking at you or something like, who let you in here? And so it can be intimidating, you know, to go well, in that's, Well, that's something that I feel is very important. And, and it's something that actually I always make sure that I encourage, you know, whoever's working in the yeah. gallery. Yeah. I've always said, A, I try to keep the door open. And whoever walks in the door, doesn't matter who they are, you treat everybody the same. And yeah friendly i mean we had a young couple of young kids in the gallery the other day now you never know you don't you know who know. The is you don't know they they could be the next super thing tiktok or whatever and in a couple of years become billionaires exactly you know that nice guy who was so kind to us in the gallery let's go back and see him absolutely well thanks for taking the time and i know the time dif difference and everything is uh makes it a little uh more awkward at the end of the day rather than in the middle of the day. Glass of wine. The glass of wine makes it tolerable. So thanks for sharing. And I uh, always let our guests have the final word and things they would uh, like to pass on to people who are listening and looking for uh, ideas for uh, incorporating back in their business and moving forward. What, would you have something you'd want to uh, pass on? Um, if you honestly in your heart believe in something, have the confidence to stick with your beliefs. Taken many 
paths, uh, you know, whether it's in a painting or whatever, where all the world is uncolored thought one thing and I've thought another thing. Now, if you genuinely believe in something and that belief is based on your own skill sets, have the confidence to stick with it. Absolutely. Great advice. And you certainly followed it. Uh, you're a perfect example of following that your entire career. I'm going to look forward to seeing you when I come to London. And I'll definitely know where to find you. <laughs> Thanks so much, Mark. Goodbye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Million Dollar Mastermind. If you felt there were any valuable takeaways from this episode, please take a minute and leave us a five-star review. Your feedback is important and really helps us get the word out to a wider audience. Remember, we have a valuable webinar that is absolutely free. Register for it right now at whitealamwinning.com. Thanks for listening.